This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, your whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olan. I'm your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 206 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a brief departure as we enter the mighty world of Greek mythology with a tale of seasons, of harvest, of kidnapping, and the potential of love. This is the tale of Persephone and the Chariot. But before we get down to that, a very big warm welcome to any new and indeed returning listeners. If this is your first episode, this is a kind of a different kind of episode to what we would normally do here on the podcast but you're more than welcome to listen to it, and if you enjoy it, head right back through the years, all the way back to episode one over four years ago, and see the journey of Fireside we've been building thus far. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. There are a lot of ways you can support this podcast. You can support it, first of all, by following me over on Instagram, at FiresideBard. That's the best place to message me or get in touch with me. Uh, if you're not on social media, you can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Uh, for any questions, queries, thoughts, comments, any of that kind of crack. Um, if you want to support the podcast more directly, you can buy my book, Garden Sea and Neo Mythophone, my poetry collection, which is available in paperback from the Headstuff website or in Kindle version from Amazon. All the links are in the description below, and we can ship that anywhere around the world. And if you want to support the podcast directly as well, you can join Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, and you can gain bonus access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And I have one more announcement to make as well that I'm finally able to announce um, which is that I am doing a new live show. I'm writing a piece at the moment called A Bard is a Failed Poet about the bardic and poetic traditions of ancient Ireland and how they inform and can tell us what they can tell us about being a storyteller, a poet, and being a bard today. And I'm doing a work-in-progress performance of it at the Seen and Heard Festival in Smock Alley on the 21st and 22nd of February at 6.45pm. I'm just doing a little 20-minute presentation of it, but it's a, it's a piece I'm very excited about. There's a huge amount of mythology and folklore, as well as poetry and kind of how to marry all the worlds of the things that I love between folklore, storytelling and poetry. And 
it will all feature heavily in there and anyone who is interested and around those dates um once again at the 21st and 22nd of february at smock alley at 6 45 p.m each night tickets are available from the smock alley website and the link is will be in the description below i'm delighted to be able to announce that there because i haven't done a live gig um of this nature of an originally written piece in dublin in a long time certainly not before COVID, so I'm very much looking forward to. There'll be some pieces from Garden Sea in the performance and some kind of context to them and just kind of tracing a journey through, as I say, the bardic and poetic traditions of Ireland. Um, And I'm very excited for it. I'm very excited to be working with one of my best friends and oldest collaborators, Thomas Emmett, as a producer. And it will just be very interesting just to try out ideas for something and see if this has the potential to be a full-length show. So I'm very much looking forward to that. So tickets are available in the link below. Um, I must apologize as well. This episode is coming out a couple of days late because I am currently on the road still. I'm on tour around um, the USA. I am currently in Oxford, Mississippi. I am actually sitting in the orchestra pit of the... University of Mississippi's theatres, so I'm in the catacombs, I feel like the Phantom of the Opera, sitting in the catacombs, this is definitely going down as one of the more unusual places that I've recorded, but the reason the episode is coming out a couple of days late is because we travel around by tour bus, so as well as our schedule, there is very, very precious little private space Um, And so there hasn't been the facility to record in the last couple of days, but I'm delighted to have found this little nook now to get the episode out. And the episode, what an episode it is, because this was a real challenge, and this was something I was so hesitant to do, despite wanting to do it kind of since the start of this podcast, because as I've spoken about many times, the Greek mythology was my very first love in terms of the worlds of folklore and mythology. It was Greek mythology that led me on to Irish mythology and led me on to starting this podcast. And so I was always hesitant to ever delve into any Greek stuff because, well, first and foremost, it is the single most covered mythology. So some of the greatest writers of all time have covered Greek mythology. And so there seemed precious little that I could bring to the table. But when I decided to enter this new form of Fireside, where I would alternate between a myth and a folk tale and then another world tale, it felt like I had a sense of freedom to not feel like I had to cover all of Greek mythology, but just to dip a toe into it and pick a story or two to cover. And if I had to pick any one story, some might be who are familiar with this tale might have said, why the tale of Persephone? And I think the reason for that, without giving too much away, is one of my favorite things about Greek mythology particularly is they have so many stories about why things happen in the natural world. Mythological stories for why things happen, like... Why do clouds gather in the sky? What is thunder and lightning? What is rain? What are the seasons? Why do the oceans rise and fall? Where did flowers come from? Where did certain animals come from? The Greeks had incredible stories that were written down by the greatest poets and storytellers and have been protected for thousands of years. And so the tale of Persephone is one of those tales. It features a cast of characters and 
some of them only really feature in this tale, or this is one of their bigger tales. And I will give a little bit of context to it throughout the story, um, and we will chat more about it afterwards, of course. But let's dive right in. This is the tale of Persephone and the Chariot on Fireside. Persephone and the Chariot Long before the Tua de Danon arrived to rule as the gods of ancient Ireland, to the east of the expansive world, at the top of Mount Olympus, the Greek gods ruled the heavens, the seas, the underworld, and everything in between. The mighty Zeus ruled as the Sky Father, the Cloud Gatherer, and the supreme king of the gods. By his side was his fierce wife Hera, goddess of marriage and queen of heaven. His brother, the tempestuous Poseidon, had dominion of the seas, and his sisters, warm Hestia and earthy Demeter, ruled the hearth and the harvest, respectively. The children of Zeus, by Hera, and often other unsuspecting titans, filled out the rest of the roster of the Olympians. The fiery Ares, god of war, the underestimated Hephaestus, god of the forge, craft, and smith of the gods, the trickster Hermes, the messenger, the awesome Athena, goddess of wisdom. There were the twins of glorious Apollo, god of the sun, of music and poetry, and the agile Artemis, goddess of the hunt. Finally, there was the aunt of Zeus, and arguably the most powerful of all, the enchanting Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And it is in the realm of Aphrodite of which this tale tells. In the early days of man, when Zeus, Athene, and the titan Prometheus had created mortals to populate the world, there was a period of peace and prosperity. The ancient mortals, gifted and doomed to die, lived in the bounty of the harvest. The bounty of Demeter. During the days the sun always shone and the rains were intermittent and plentiful. Everything bloomed, everything grew, there was always food in the fields and on the trees, and Artemis, goddess of the hunt, blessed the forest, so there was always meat to eat and leather hides to clothe. The world lived in eternal summer. And the greatest symbol of this period of peace was Kore, Persephone, the daughter of Zeus by his sister Demeter. Everywhere Persephone went, flowers bloomed, and to see her in the world made Demeter give the world more of a harvest than they could ever know what to do with. Persephone became the most desirable maiden on Olympus, and many of the unmarried gods sought her hand. Apollo and Hermes both had their eyes on her, but Demeter resisted. The overprotective mother knew of the deceitful, capricious nature of the male gods and endeavored to protect Persephone from them. Demeter wanted her daughter to be like Athene, Artemis, or Hestia, eternally chaste and unmarried. 
One day, Persephone and a band of protectors were out playing in the forest. Persephone was gathering flowers and drifted just out of her guardian's sight. The moment she was shrouded from view, the young girl saw a plant she had never seen before. Six distinct leaves around a trumpet-like bell. This was the Narcissus, or as we would know it, the Daffodil. But the moment Persephone plucked this enchanting flower, there came a rumble. Not from her father's sky, but from the earth. A great big hole opened in the ground, and something, someone, emerged. Persephone didn't have time to run, didn't even have time to think, before she was picked up and swallowed into the earth. Her protectors arrived to the girl's cries, Help me, Zeus! Father, help! But they arrived just in time to see the hole in the ground return as it was. As quickly as she had been there, Persephone had disappeared. The kidnapping of Persephone was baffling. How does the daughter of two of the Olympic gods, one of whom being the king of heaven, just disappear? Who would dare? And even more perplexing, no one had the slightest clue who or what was responsible. Persephone's mother Demeter sank into deep despair, and when the goddess of the harvest and the seasons becomes depressed, the entire mortal world feels the devastating effects. Demeter neglected her duties, and so no flowers bloomed, no crops grew, the animals began to die, and the entire world was consumed by an eternal winter. Demeter did not trust that Zeus was innocent of this affair. Nothing got past him. If Persephone had been kidnapped, Zeus was either guilty or complicit. So instead, Demeter sought the aid of the titan Hecate ruler of spells and witchcraft, to help find Persephone. Hecate scoured the forests, the seas, and skies. Everyone was questioned. Poseidon, Ares, Apollo, Hermes, and even Zeus. But no matter how hard anyone searched or questioned, not one sign of Persephone could be found. But after an entire year of miserable winter, when the mortals had starved and fought each other for scraps, while crying out to the gods to save them, the world was in famine. And it was not Demeter or Hecate or even Zeus who would change things, but Helios. Helios was the god of the sun, the very personification of the sun itself. He had taken over the reins of the chariot which brought about the morning from shining Apollo himself. Helios was growing tired of having to drag the sun up and over a dying world every day. It took the fun out of being the bringer of light if there was nothing living for light to shine down on. So Helios went to Demeter and said, I know who took Persephone. Demeter's relief and gratitude were trumped by a fury at Helios not having come forward in the first place. 
all of Olympus scours the earth for my daughter, and you don't think to say a word. Nobody asked me, said Helios. But now I grow weary of the barren earth and starved, screaming mortals. Also, just because I know where Persephone is does not mean you're any closer to getting her back. What if I told you she was down below? What do you mean? Well, obviously I don't mean she's died, what with her being immortal and all, but she might as well be. Demeter had lost the little patience she didn't have. If you want to remain immortal and ever pull that sun chariot again, you will tell me what happened. Helios said, Well, your daughter was wandering foolishly in the woods, when out of the ground emerged a beautiful golden chariot pulled by four jet-black horses. Its rider snatched up Persephone, and she and the chariot were swallowed up by the ground, and the rider's helmet of invisibility was unmistakable. It was Hades. Hades. Hades was the god of the underworld. He was the underworld. If you died, you went to Hades. To a place as much as to a god. When Zeus had conquered his father Cronos and all the other titans and had claimed supreme lordship of heaven, he gathered his two troublesome brothers, Hades and Poseidon, and presented them with two closed fists. In both fists were gemstones, one blue and one black. Whoever picked the hand containing the blue stone became the lord of the seas. The winner of the black stone would rule the dead. While Hades was initially disappointed with his acquisition of the underworld, he grew to love his job once mortals were created. Because mortals died. And so suddenly with a lot more business, Hades had a lot more fear, respect, and power. But despite being the brother of the King of Heaven, Hades was not one of the twelve Olympians. He lived down below, so the King of the Mine was lonely and lustful. Still suspicious of his involvement, Demeter ordered Zeus to get off his cloud and go way down Hadestown, way down under the ground. He marched past Chiron, the ferryman of the river Styx, past the three-headed hound of hell Cerberus, and to the very throne room of the dead. Where is she? growled Zeus. I don't know how they do things up on Olympus. But down here, there are a lot of people. So I'm going to have to ask you to be more specific. Don't do this, Hades. You know who I mean. Am I to understand you mean my wife? Your... Zeus couldn't finish the sentence. Your what? My wife. Persephone and I are married. I love her. And she is my queen. You dare to kidnap and marry my daughter without asking the permission of the king of the gods, your king. You're not my king. You're my brother. 
my youngest brother, if I had not been swallowed by our father, which I saved you from. And yes, I am eternally grateful for that. And then you gave me this job, the rule over the dead. And this is a real job. This is a hard job that takes a huge amount of effort. Being the lord of sandcastles or flowers or harps is all well and good, but everyone dies, and I am the only one with the responsibility. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy the work. But I have also never asked for anything in return. I've always loved Persephone, and the last thing I was going to do was let her fall into the clutches of Hermes or Apollo. Hades, said Zeus, the mortal world is in ruin. The mortals are dead and dying. Demeter will not let a single living thing bloom as long as Persephone is in the underworld. You cannot possibly be so selfish to want the death of all living things. Well, as I am the lord of the dead, that actually sounds quite appealing. One of the laws of the gods was that one god, no matter how powerful, could not change the actions of another. So Zeus had to change tactic. Very well, said the cloud gatherer. If you do not return Persephone, I will make it so that no mortal ever dies. You will be out of a job. You mock the domains of the other gods. Well, in a world without fear of dying, you will be lower than a fool, Hades. Hades knew that his brother was serious. There was nothing he could do. I will not forget this, brother. The one time I asked for anything, and you refused. Gods may not be able to die, but I will hurt you for this, Zeus. Give me tonight, and send that messenger of yours tomorrow. Zeus and Hades parted, and the god of the underworld went to his wife's room. Persephone, he said softly, I'm afraid you must leave this place. Really? said Persephone, attempting to not seem too pleased about that notion. I know I brought you here against your will, but you must understand that there is no one for the lord of the underworld to marry. I live in a world beyond the reaches of Aphrodite. But when I saw you, I felt that thing I never thought I would ever feel. Love. And I thought that, perhaps, in time, you could love me too. Persephone looked into the dark eyes and pale face of her kidnapper and now husband. I never had any desire to come down here and never thought it would be possible to even care for you. But you have been kind to me, and I feel I have seen a side to you that no one has. I had grown accustomed to this place. In the above world, I will always merely be the daughter of Demeter. But down here, I was a queen. Hades went silent before saying, let us share one last meal as husband and wife. You have yet to try the pomegranate. A plate of pomegranate seeds was presented to Persephone.
The next morning, Hermes, herald and messenger of the gods, descended into Hades. Hermes was the conductor of souls, so he had a lot of experience in the underworld. Hello, uncle, said Hermes, knowing how much the name of affection would irritate Hades. I have to say, you're looking remarkably cheerful for one who literally lives in hell. Hermes was not wrong. Hades was actually smiling. You cannot take her. Oh, come now, Hades. Don't have me come all this way just to have to fly back to Olympus empty-handed. Because you know Zeus is just going to come back down here himself. Fly any place you like, messenger boy. Persephone has eaten the food of the underworld. By divine law, she must always return to the world of the dead. The usually quick-tongued Hermes was silent, because he knew that Hades was right. Anyone who consumed the food of the underworld, whether mortal or immortal, could not survive outside it again. Persephone had eaten six pomegranate seeds. Just six seeds. So Hades, in a particularly poetic mood, proclaimed that Persephone should return to the underworld for six out of every twelve months. For the other six, she could return to the world above. When Demeter and her daughter were reunited, the mortal world immediately began to bloom. The bloom exploded like spring from a mountain, and so became spring. Spring became summer, where the goddess of the harvest would spend every day with Persephone. But then the day would come every year when the golden chariot would arrive, and Persephone would descend back to Hadestown. From the day she left every year, Demeter would not work, and she would adorn a cloak of mourning, and nothing would grow. Summer turned to autumn, and autumn to winter. And this is where the seasons come from. From the love of a protective mother for her greatest creation, her own daughter. But that said, Persephone was no prisoner of Hades. She was the queen of the underworld, and ruled loyally and powerfully by her husband's side. She would live a full life above and below, and yes, maybe even grow to love the king of hell. For after all, it was and is the love between Hades and Persephone that makes the world go round. To be continued. Fad Camp is a comedy podcast about the ridiculousness of fad diets and diet culture, hosted by me, Grace Mulvey, and me, Connor Dowling. If you have a body of any kind, chances are you've crossed paths with at least one of the bizarre diet trends we cover in our show. And between me and Connor, we have done nearly every fad diet there is. Juice cleansing. Fasting. The potato diet. Which is actually a real diet, by the way, and we don't recommend it. So join us as we try to make sense of the madness that is diet culture. Find Fad Camp everywhere you get your podcasts and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fad Camp Podcast. And there we have the incredible tale of Hades and Persephone and Persephone on the chariot on Fireside. And I hope you all enjoyed it. 
I don't. I tend not to know in terms of the listenership, folks who listen to this, how much other mythology people know. So this would be one of the more famous Greek myths. So I'd be very interested to see who people, what people, do know this, and what people may be listening to this for the first time. Because of course, my main priority for sharing stories like this, you know, sharing any of these stories, is that they're shared to people who can then share them on again, or that people do further reading on these or further listening to other things. And that's that's the kind of goal, and that's the glory of it. But yeah, this is a story I kind of always remember from being young. This was one that any time I re-listened to or re-read any new interpretations of the Greek myths, most recently, naturally, Stephen Fry's Mythos and Heroes and Troy, which I've talked about a good bit, which are incredible. Um, but going back to Robert Graves' incredible adaptation of the Greek myths um, and everything in between from like kids' versions of it that I had small, I always remembered the story of Persephone whenever it came up and never needed to be reminded of the players or the beats or the characters. And now my current obsession, which I don't know how much I've talked about on the podcast, is Hades Town, which is a musical on Broadway, for those who don't know, which is centered around the Orpheus and Eurydice myth, but also of the myth of Hades and Persephone, presenting these two love stories, these two very different love stories between Orpheus and Eurydice and Hades and Persephone. But it's Hades and Persephone in later marriage, because the other big Hades tale and other big Persephone tale is the myth of Orpheus. And the myth of Orpheus is one other Greek tale that I would absolutely love to do on this podcast. Um, But I could not do that without having first done the story of Hades and Persephone. And this is a very potent and very controversial tale, like many, many tales in Greek mythology, because you have a young girl being kidnapped against her will, and carried down into the underworld and forced into marriage. And I was very interested that in some version, in the Robert Graves version of this, I'll put the links to the... I base this mainly between the Robert Graves version and the Stephen Fry version, and just then my own memory and interpretation. But in the Graves version, it supposes that Zeus was either completely responsible or that he was complicit, that there was no other way that he didn't know his daughter was being kidnapped, and that he he was just let Hades do it. And the other side of it is that Hades may have kidnapped Persephone precisely because he knew that she, that Demeter would not work, and that it would increase the amount of death in the world and increase his business if he kidnapped Persephone. So there's those two sides of it. And then, of course, there's Persephone's own agency within the story herself. Is this a case of Stockholm Syndrome? Is she a prisoner of Hades from the moment she enters the underworld to every time she has to return each year? Or does she become the queen of the underworld? Does she come to accept her role? And is it possible for her to love Hades? Because naturally one of the most interesting things about Hades and in how he's portrayed in the media is Hades is always portrayed as a rather devilish, very villainous figure. And depending on how you view this story, he could be the absolute villain in it as well. But just because Hades' domain is gloomy and he rules over the dead and he is the lord of the underworld, that doesn't inherently mean that Hades is malicious or malevolent. Because he is just like any of them. He is is just a guy. He is just a 
uh, God who has wants and needs and has failings and trappings and faults as well as strengths. And here we have Hades, an example of Hades' lust and his resentment of the above world and it ultimately, to his mind, his desire for love and desire for a queen. And I really enjoyed kind of putting a bit more flesh into Hades when he's so often portrayed as quite two-dimensional. Um, and that definitely comes hugely. I mean, there are, naturally I said, the Robert Graves version and the Stephen Fry version are the two versions of this story that I was looking at mostly. But there's no doubt that Hades Town has hugely uh, influenced my, in, my idea of um, Hades, particularly as a character. Because whether you, you know Hades from the myths themselves or you know from the... Uh, Disney Hercules or even from the God of War video games you know like he's usually always portrayed quite villainous and he definitely is the antagonist of Hades Town but he is incredibly sympathetic as well within it I'd be very interested if any of these listeners um, had indeed watched or listened to Hades Town and have noticed I had a couple of uh, lyrical references within there most notably to give Anais Mitchell her dues the absolute creative genius behind Hades Town that it was uh, the love of Hades and Persephone that made the world go round. I always loved that. And that's the other two sides to it. Like, you can view the story in both those ways. You can view the seasons as the story of a mother and daughter, or you can view the seasons as a husband and wife. Both affect, both are the same thing, but it's the different lenses and ways that you view. But how do you view this story? And what versions have you heard of it? Um, I'm always interested in in hearing from every one of you, and especially with a story that's can be as open to interpretation as this is, as a lot of the Greek stuff is, that has aspects of cruelty and violence inherently within it from a cruel and violent world and a cruel and violent system of gods. Um, and just because there's cruel and violent, and violent does not make it not interesting and compelling and interesting to talk about. So let me know what you think about this. And if this is a story you grew up with, if you heard a very different version of it, or um, if this is something you would like to hear more of, because I would certainly like to do a little bit more of the Greeks, certainly, as I said, Orpheus, because I kind of dove right in here, you know, I didn't do the battle for Olympus, you know, I didn't talk about the Titans or Gaia and Ordonas or Chaos or anything like that. I just kind of dove right in and just said, okay, here's our 12 gods. And what is wonderful about the Greek mythology as well is that even though this was a story about Persephone and Hades and to a lesser extent Zeus and Demeter, we get appearances from a lot of them. You know, we get we get Hermes in there, we get references, we get a couple of references to Artemis and to Apollo and just even like the, the River Styx and Chiron and, and Cerberus. It is such a vastly and densely populated world that it's so wonderful to spend time in. But with that, I will wrap things up. So I hope you enjoyed, as always, enjoyed this episode. Um, I'm going to go now. Um, we have a show to perform in a couple of hours. As I said, we're in the University of Mississippi, um, where I found out uh, that Barack Obama had his first presidential debate today. Uh, there was a little plaque outside, so it was pretty cool. Um, but I know this is uh, Oxford, Mississippi is incredibly historic. I know that from being a big Bob Dylan fan, knowing that the song Oxford Town was written about the riots that were here in 1962. So it's, again, it's a wonderful way to travel around a country and to see parts of a country that you wouldn't necessarily see as a tourist if you come over uh, working on a tour like this. So I'm having a great time. And as always, uh, please do let me know if anyone is around 
in the states of Idaho, um, Idaho, Wisconsin, Indiana, Wyoming, a couple more places still. We'll be here for another couple of weeks, um, and it'll be great to see some people at any of the shows, if the world of musicals and musical theatre will be your thing. If not, I will return to you next week. Um, next week, we will have another Irish myth. We will have the Tawnbow Nera. We have the mythology of Nera, which actually is a sound tale. It is quite a spooky Halloween-esque tale that will continue our look at the other Tawnbow stories. Um, otherwise, follow me over on Instagram at Farsabard. Email me at thefarsabard at gmail.com. Buy my book, Garden Sea, in Kindle or paperback version. Support the podcast at Headstuff Plus. All the links are in the description below. Buy tickets to a bard as a failed poet. My new show, my work in progress of a new theatre piece at the 21st and 22nd of February at 6.45pm at Smock Alley Theatre Dublin. Tickets are available in the link below as well. I will see you all. You will hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.